Welcome to the Authentic Sales Leader Podcast, where we bring on exceptional sales leaders to dig into their stories and experiences, get their advice, and most importantly, learn what it means to them to be an authentic sales leader. I'm your host, Jeff Kerchick, and I suggest you grab a notebook and a pen, as every episode is packed with their wisdom and knowledge. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Authentic Sales Leader Podcast. I am your host, Jeff Kerchick, and today I'm joined by a very special guest, good friend, um, great guy for many reasons, not the least of which is that he also lives in Boston. Uh, But we met through uh, a group called Sales Huddle. I'm going to let him talk about it in a little bit, but he's the VP of Sales at Paperless Parts, uh, which is a very high-growth uh, fast-growing tech company here in Boston. Max Tipton, how are you doing today? Doing tremendous. It's uh, 8 a.m. after the 4th of July, so I still got uh, a lot of the meat sweats going. But other than that, you know, things are going tremendous. Good to see you. That's great. Yeah, and you and I met back during when you were in AE, and you had kind of like when you made that jump to become a VP of sales over the last few years. And you've been at the company, you know, seeing it grow from essentially like nothing to the, you know, I think you've got like 20 salespeople or something today. You could have been through multiple fundraising rounds. That's pretty cool. It's an awesome story for those who are listening, trying to understand like, how, how do I get into sales leadership, right? So what was that jump like for you to go from AE to VP of sales? That's um, a very different, two very different types of roles. How did you navigate that, especially working in such a high growth business like the one you're at right now? Yeah, you know, the mindset that I had going into it was that, um, you know, the gentleman that had invited me to to work for him, Mike Stankus, he was like my Bill Belichick of sales. He had unbelievable sales fundamentals. He held you uh, very closely accountable, you know, to results and would do whatever it took to enable his team and those around him um, to do the job um, it, very well. And I, I looked at all the other, what we'll call them protégés that have spun off from his sales leadership, and they're all running very high-performing sales organizations at, you know, some of the, um, you know, big big name brands in, in SaaS, right? Um, and so I kind of went into it thinking to myself, why not, right? Let's see what happens. If If, if it doesn't work out, it's just a, you know, it's just a one opportunity that didn't work out in a career that I I uh, was confident that I'm very confident myself would be successful. Um, so I just went into it with eyes wide open, um, committing to you know paperless and myself that I was going to give it everything I got, and um, didn't really know what it was going to end up being like until I was in the role. You know, the first six months were a bit of a struggle. You know, as um, any new transition would be, you're pretty vulnerable a lot of the time. You're you're um, getting a lot of your learnings from others around you and books and you know videos and you know things like that. But you don't have the life experience to help you navigate. You know, when you're in these really tough situations, both with you know internal employees and personnel and also trying to meet the expectations of a um, high growth SaaS company's number. And so, you know, I think it was during that time period, I was about six months in and, you know, we were in a crunch mode, you know, time period at the end of a quarter. And there was a, you know, one point where my boss, Mike had said, Hey, you know, 
we got to make this thing happen. And, and, you know, right now it's, we got to do whatever it takes to, to get to the, uh, to the number. Um, and I was kind of going into a lot of my, you know, leadership or, you know, around, uh, doing whatever I could to help enable the employees to do the role without me having to step into it. And I, I was very um, conscious of crossing that line of doing the job for them or, or things like that. You know, ultimately, the, the reflection moment that I had is that, you know, for a lot of folks on the team, they may not have had experience in sales and other areas that, that I had had. And a lot of my learning came from in real time training from other sales leaders. And it really opened my eyes to how important it is for me to just go get on the road with a lot of the folks in my sales team um, so that we can get in front of these customers, you know, work a room, forge relationships with leadership individuals within these opportunities and really understand the why behind, you know, why, why paperless, why now? Um, and I think, you know, that inflection point for me, um, you know, the answer, the answer at the time was go on the road for the next three weeks in order to get to the number. And it ended up making it happen. Um, that was kind of a big moment in my career where I realized that I could do this. You know, I, I proved to myself that I could do the role, um, especially when my number was called. I, I was able to rise to the occasion at in that situation. And it's after that where you start to look at other you know, challenges that are set forth, you know, quarter after quarter, and you, you start to believe in yourself a lot more. So it kind of took, you know, one big push for me when I was about six months in to fully convince myself that I was the person for the role and that I could, I could do some of the tough things that come along with it. That's awesome. Yeah. And, and I, and I, I love how you kind of talked a little bit about kind of this like imposter syndrome maybe that you had initially um, all the, all the professional development in, in ways that you invested in yourself. And uh, it's actually a good segue into like how, how we met, you know, what's the story behind uh, you and you and I getting together, because I think it's relevant to what you were, you were talking about a moment. For um, folks like ourselves, we get a lot from community and learning from other individuals. And during that, uh, time period when everything was, you know, shut down, there were very few outlets outside of, you know, virtual communities to feed off that, you know, get that type of access to other individuals. And it, I don't know how we both stumbled into it. I heard about it from another salesperson that I was um, meeting with, uh, you know, often. And he said, Hey, you should check out this guy, Chris Williams. He's running this program called sales huddles. And the concept is, is you meet once a week with other SaaS AEs and, and non-SaaS um, to talk about the different challenges that we're facing in our day-to-day -day, you know, roles. And it gave great exposure to, to about four to five AEs on a, on a weekly basis where we can just ham it up. You know, with A lot of the, pro the problems that we face are so similar from organization to organization. And we could come in there and it was what we, what we would call a sales dojo and, you know, really train, um, you know, with each other before we went into the, you know, the day-to-day -day fight to go and, um, you know, get to our sales goals during that, you know, wild time period when everything was shut down. So that's where, you know, you and I had a chance to meet. We figured out pretty quick that you were from Boston originally, loved all the same sports teams. So fast friends after that. 
So speaking of that, you know, you, you've been tasked with hiring a lot of people since you've joined the company. I mean, I think, you know, I think you've hired at least a couple dozen folks, um, uh, but you can tell us how many folks are on the, on the, in the sales organization over there and what are the kind of the key attributes that you're looking for when hiring? You know, right now, including account management, we have about 18 individual contributors. And then in addition to that, we have about um, 10 folks on our BDR program. Um, so, you know, I think um, for myself specifically, the things, you know, it's hard to boil it down into just a couple of character traits, but, you know, generally speaking, it's going to be a lot of curiosity, um, people that ask a lot of questions because they have a, a yearning to understand why things work a certain way. Um, so I think it's just this general sense of curiosity um, and also tenacity. You know, the, the people that, um, you know, want the job are the ones that do the research and tell them why they believe they're going to be a great fit for the role and why the problems that we're solving are really interesting and important to them. Um, you know, versus coming into it because they're looking at a few competitive, you know, um, opportunities. They're looking to just understand how much they should be getting paid, you know, things like that. It's the folks that have really taken the time. Um, I'll, I'll just to give you a quick example, when I do screens, one of the first qualifying questions I ask is, you know, tell me about the research that you've done and what you understand are, are about our business. Tell me about a case study that you've read and what you took away from it. And if an individual doesn't have, you know, any really meaningful talk track there, you know, we politely part ways, right? Because, you know, I, I really wanna um, know that the folks that are um, jumping on the call are conducting, you know, their research and prep like they would for a sales opportunity if we did give them the role. It makes sense. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, that, that, you know, you want to, you want to make sure that the people are actually interested in, in the role, especially because right, you know, these days it's so easy to just apply for job after job mindlessly going through LinkedIn. So it's a great way to, I think, to qualify people out and I, looking at it from the other perspective, what do you think makes a good leader? You know, what are the attributes that you're sharing with candidates or even your own, uh, team? Uh, about like why they why it'd be good to work for you and like what you know what do you think that the average salesperson is looking for in, in in leadership it's a great question because you know you're going to get different answers from a lot of different people um i think based on you know where i'm at and it, it you know from from my standpoint is that um you know great sales leaders bring a lot of energy to a sales team um, help them believe that they can accomplish really, really hard things and, and goals, um, even when they might, may not believe it themselves, right? So being that um, kind of portal of energy and um, confidence and things like that when the going's getting tough, I think is extremely important because you see a lot of, you know, sales folks that may tailspin when their confidence is off and, you know, things like that, right? So they need somebody, uh, a partner in crime there to help pick them up and, um, you know, coach them through some of those tougher times, um, but also help, you know, you know, really enable them even when things are going, you know, you know, really well. Um, I also think, you know, really good sales leaders do a good job at explaining the why. Um, that's something that I'm always 
trying to, you know, trying to work on because um, in a fast growing company, uh, venture back company, the environment or um, some of the motion can change, you know, from quarter to quarter often. But if you're able to explain the why behind some of the decision making or the direction that we're taking, I think that's when you can get buy in from a lot of the, you know, team members. Um, you know, and I think, you know, the word that you guys use to describe the the podcast itself around authentically selling, um, yeah, I think, I think, um, you know, just a lot of the authenticity that you can bring to the table, you know, with your team members and with the other leaders within the organization, you know, um, to come together as a team when uh, we're all chasing down, you know, sales and revenues goal, revenue goals is um, huge. I, um, yeah, it's pretty much a non-starter to, you know, to building a really good go-to-market team. The podcast is called the Authentic Sales Leader Podcast. So, you know, can you give us an example of a time where you've leveraged, you know, your authenticity? Uh, you mentioned vulnerability, I think, even as like one of these things you experienced when you were beginning in the role. You know, can you maybe give an example of how you leverage this either with within your team to help them sell or even just for you in a deal uh, where, you know, cause I know you wear multiple hats there, you get involved and kind of roll up your sleeves and close deals as well. So, um, can you give us an example, maybe one of those two, where you've been able to leverage that to your advantage? For me personally speaking, like internally with my boss, Alan Holly, who's come in to run, um, our global, um, go-to-market strategy and sales. He came in at the beginning of the year. And, um, I think what's worked really well for me from an authenticity standpoint is, you know, um, coming to him when I'm facing challenges and just being really open and honest about it as soon as it happens so that we can work together as a team to figure out how we can go solve for those. So I'm not one to really harbor any sort of um, angst or concern or anxiety about any you know specific situation that we're facing together because we're, we're both trying to solve the same problems at the same time. Um, so the, the sooner I'm able to you know, bring him my ideas or thoughts or concerns or things like that, the quicker we can chase towards those. I think that's kind of a one-on-one, but, you know, at the end of the day, um, it's worked really well in building a strong, you know, partnership between us two. Um, as far as like deals go, one tool that I've seen my team use really well to build a um, you know, equal business stature with the organization that they're working with authentically is something that hopefully everybody's doing out there, which is a upfront agreement agreement. Um, you start your initial calls with, you know, introductions, what the purpose of the call is confirming with them that you're, that they're, um, okay with you asking specific questions, you know, validating with them. Hey, I'll let you know, I, I do this all day. I'll let you know if there isn't a fit here for our solution, but I'd also appreciate it if you could let me know if, you don't see this solving any problems for you by the end of this call. And then, you know, reserving time at the end of the call for next steps, you know, going through this process demonstrates in a, a you know, I believe a very authentic way that you are there for a reason. The prospect is there for a reason. It's okay. If that reason isn't generating revenue for you right now, or, you know, turning into a qualified opportunity in the pipeline. Um, but if you do that early in a sales cycle and stick to it at every stage, you know, I think that there's um, something to be said that it, uh, around the um, res mutual respect that you create 
within that um, opportunity and with that other organization. Yeah, I really like that because, you know, you're asking for kind of permission to ask certain questions and you're trying to align on what the purpose is. And the reason I like that from an authenticity perspective is because, you know, if you were to meet a new person or, or go on a date, even like you wouldn't just interrogate people, right? Like it, the way that you would normally interact with somebody would be to, you know, especially if it's like your first time meeting somebody would be to kind of like ask for permission to ask certain questions or to have certain alignment. Um, and so, you know, I, I like the idea that like, we shouldn't put these sales interactions into a different bucket, right? Like it just doesn't feel genuine when we treat it differently. So I, I like that you're kind of taking, um, that approach. Um, I guess, you know, pivoting a little bit away from like the human element here, I want to talk a little bit about the technology because there's been, you know, an influx of artificial intelligence, AI tools into the sales world. Um, this is something that I wrote about a couple of years ago in my book. Obviously we're here, um, on a podcast sponsored by Humantic AI, which is one of these tools that's doing some pretty interesting things. Um, I'm sure that you guys are using things in your tech stack, even that might be, you know, AI based. I'm just curious, you know, as you're witnessing this, what are your general thoughts? Like, how are you, how do you feel that AI is impacting the sales community? How do sellers need to adapt to it? What's kind of your long-term uh, perspective on how our industry is being shaped around this? I've, I've been pretty blown away with um, how we as sellers and go-to-market leaders can leverage things like, you know, ChatGPT and Bard and, you know, some of these other tools out there. Um, you know, I, for us, we, we take time during every quarter to really dig deep into how we analyze the regional go-to-market strategy across the different teams that we do have. And it's amazing what you can do to use it as an assistant for your sales go-to-market to type in simple things like, you know, for us, we solve problems for manufacturers, but you could type in who are the top, you know, manufacturers in the specific region and which customers do they serve, right? And it'll, you could even type in things like, um, write me a blog for this, for an, an Ohio manufacturer solving a problem for this, you know, industry. And it does an incredible job just drafting something up for you. So I think, you know, just for, you know, sales folks out there, um, I think it's just gaining proficiency and how to even ask the questions that you're trying to solve for um, and, you know, learning how to become pretty lethal with tools like that. Eventually, the way I see, you know, this going is um, having our own version of that type of, you know, um, AI for individual departments within an organization because they'll be able to tap into all the data within your CRM and other tools within the kind of the tech stack within your organization. So us as sales folks can go in and type in different trends that they, you know, maybe looking for around win rates for this specific type of opportunity. And then in this industry, um, you could, you could just, um, imagine the type of access to, you know, data and inf information that we'll have, you know, once these tools become available within the four walls of our own organizations, um, and that'll help you develop like the best outbound strategy, the best close rates at different stages. Um, the best, um, you know, I guess, um, you know, emails and talk tracks and things like that. So, um, I'm pretty excited for what it's going to be able to do because it'll allow us to focus more on revenue generating activities and getting ready for those, 
you know, um, calling hours and things like that. Um, and less time having to do a lot of the digging. Yeah, I like that. I think that's accurate. I mean, you know, AI can largely be used to help people, not necessarily replace them. Um, and so a lot of these low value activities, I like the, I like that, uh, nomenclature kind of like revenue generating activities or high value activities. Um, I think that's, I think that's right. Um, last question for you, Max, um, and definitely appreciate all the time, but you know, thing that's really hard for salespeople. And I think this is something where leadership really comes into play is like, sometimes you got to walk away from a deal and you, you kind of talked a little bit about this and, you know, your talk track that you do with your customers, which is like, Hey, let me know if this is not a fit. I'll let you know if I think it's not a fit for you. Right. How do you help your team understand when they need to walk away from a deal? You know, like what are certain, what are some of the things you're looking for when you're making that assessment? Um, I think a lot of people assume that salespeople are just trying to sell everything all the time under the sun, but actually it's really the opposite. You want to get a no as quickly as possible. Sometimes, um, you, you need to be strategic about where you spend your time. And that often involves recognizing where you shouldn't be spending your time quickly. Um, and that can be hard for people, right? And so it's the leader's job to help dictate when that's going to happen. Um, how are you doing that in your organization? A couple of ways that really stand out to me. Uh, one is that we've developed a very black and white ICP. Um, you know, we learned pretty quickly in as we've scaled this organization that we can help a very defined group of manufacturers, right? And anytime we try and color outside those lines, well, we can help them this way, or we can do something custom here, you know, things like that. We just know that we're starting to, you know, play with fire there and that we're forcing a square peg through a round hole, right? So that's an easy way for us at the qualification stage very early in the funnel to kick things out, right? So we've been able to kick a lot of stuff out that we shouldn't be chasing to begin with early in the sales cycle that way. Um, the other way for our, this is more of an instinct thing for our own sellers is how do you judge indecision at every step and every stage in the sales opportunity? Um, we really view as each stage in the sales opportunity as a way, as a, you know, how do we qualify out here? Right. Um, I think the worst thing a seller could do is take a really long time to close loss the deal. Right. And it's usually the sellers that may be struggling to get to a specific goal or things like that, that try and hold on to a lot of stale pipeline or deals that aren't moving forward or ones where we're unable to get access to individuals in the you know customer's company in order to really influence the opportunity. So what we do is, um, you know, take time to really understand, you know, where the indecision might be coming from, you know, why things aren't moving forward. We, in the ways that we do that are, um, you know, by digging into what the cost of an action is, um, you know, why would they need paperless one? Why do they need it now? You know, how much revenue are they leaving on the table every week by not pursuing, um, a a solution like paperless parts, right? And our ability to articulate that really well in the first couple of meetings with a prospect, I think goes a long way to help us understand how they're viewing a solution like paperless. Do they view it as a nice to have, or are they coming to the table saying, we need to do something about this problem and we believe you guys are the right fit and here's how you guys can help us get a solution like this on board. Um, 
So, you know, that's the, those are the areas that we really focus on um, when we're going through different opportunities and deals. Um, and yeah, I think it's helped us avoid a lot of longer sales cycles with organizations that just aren't ready to commit. Awesome. Love it. ICP qualification criteria is like, why us? Why, why, why now? Um, why anything? Right. Um, those are all great things. Max, thank you so much for joining us here on the Authentic Sales Leader Podcast. Hope everyone enjoyed learning from you. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Authentic Sales Leader Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, the best way to share your gratitude is to share the show with a friend or to drop us a review on your favorite podcast app. Until next time, keep it authentic.